Hello, welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education. My name is Mark Taylor and we're continuing our season of meeting the National Council. We're on location today in the Friends House and we thought we'd meet up for coffee before one of our exec meetings. Um, And I'm delighted to be joined by Wendy Scott, who is... Well, the earlier specialist and has so much value that she brings to the council and everything that's gone on over many different governments and many years of experience as we've gone through. So welcome very much, <laughs> I'm Wendy. I'm pre-war. I'm pre-war. <laughs> and I think that's partly why early years has uh, engaged me so strongly for so long. So why don't we start with some of that history, some of that background, some of that educational understanding, and um, and then we can work through to how all that fits in with the great work that you're doing in many organisations and specifically with NAEP. Yes, um, I've been to seven different schools, which I think qualifies me to have some views about education through my own first-hand experience. And because of the war, I was at boarding school at a very young age. And I think that helped me to see into, especially with hindsight, into the importance of what happens in the early years and how um, the influence on families as well as children can be constructive and helpful and is very much needed. So why don't we talk about some of those differences in the schools that you've been involved in and and some of the roles that you've had over the years. The last school I went to was a progressive boarding school and the only thing that the head teacher wrote on my testimonial after my two years there was this girl should have gone to Cambridge but by then I was extremely willful and very rebellious and instead of going to university I took myself off to the States. And when I asked my mother later how she could let me go, who was a tender age, to a very unknown country um, and unexpected experiences, there was a long pause and then she said, believe me, it was a relief. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I came back, which I did, um, and I don't quite know the reason, but I went to the Froebel Institute and did three years training there. And it was an absolutely superb training. I had told them that my intention was to teach maths in secondary schools. But actually, when I got there, I was waylaid completely by the early years course, by the principles that underpinned it, by the breadth and depth of the course itself, by the skills of the lecturers, and by the total commitment to children that exist in the Froebel philosophy. And I think that commitment to children, the children first idea, which is obviously essential to NAEP as well, is something which, I mean, we've just been chatting bef- before we started recording. And, and it, I think when you're starting from that standpoint, then everything can look very different, can't it? And, and I think that's where a lot of the frustrations come in, in terms of some of the education systems and some of the things that people are experiencing in today's um, yes. system. Well, in the early years, there's nowhere else to start, actually. You have to welcome the children as they are, which is behind some of our reservations about, for example, baseline testing and and such like. So the course that I did equipped me very, very well, I think, to start from the child, individual children, their circumstances, their family experience, um, and and the really... (laughs) I now know there's nothing more important than what happens for young children and their families, and that's part of the power in early years that you do link with parents. You need to. You see them daily. You see them in the context of their homes as well, if you arrange home visits. There are all sorts of ways. And because they are still so closely connected with their children, um, you get a better insight, perhaps, uh, at that stage than any other. And now, of course, when we have very young children going into daycare, um, the staff are, are 
almost parent substitutes, especially if the children are there for long hours. So that link is absolutely crucial, and it does make a difference. And it's actually something I remember chatting to John Kerbeck when, when I did my interview with him as obviously part of the National Council. It was the sense that a lot of it is this idea of a partnership and a collaboration between the school, between the teachers, between the parents, and all doing what is best for children in any given circumstance. And I think sometimes it doesn't necessarily feel like that's the case. You sort of, you, you sort of drop your child off at school or when they first go to nursery and you expect that sort of educational side or lots of the learning to be happening there. But actually it should be much more of a two-way street. Yes, Absolutely. Um, and and being a parent as well as a teacher is helpful because then you understand. I remember I'd been teaching for about six years in a nursery class and one parent who was bringing her child in for the first time said, have you got any children? And I thought, that's not the point. I've been teaching for six years. I've handled more than 100 children. But actually when I became a parent, I understood much more clearly what she was asking about and it's the very real daily nightly stresses and difficulties challenges and rewards of being a parent it's very personal absolutely and the thing that i always go back to when i think about especially that transition from preschool in into those early years um it's very much the fact that we're very good i think often of allowing the development of a child to happen organically I always think about when they learn to walk. We don't decide. And now I think it's about time that they learn to walk. And, no, <laughs> and you know, it, happen, it happens very naturally. It happens when it's their time. It's when their body shape fits the balance and all of that kind of thing. And, and, and it, generally speaking, is very natural. And I think understanding that from a learning perspective and as a development um, perspective is a really important one if that could be brought into the education system as well rather than the assumption that you need to be this at this particular age or this stage in that lack of individuality. Yes, and instead of looking top down uh, from where you want them to be at the age of 11, for example, <laughs> it's very unhelpful really and children of three or four are not yet pupils and they have a lot of development to do and it is very individual it's not just between children it's within a child him or herself they're very much influenced by their home experience by their health by their nutrition by daily events by what happened that morning before they came to school and they haven't yet learned to moderate all of that for themselves so we need to be responsive and let's move through how do some of the um, organisations that you represent and work for and, and, and participate in, how do they sort of all work together in terms of, of supporting children of that age or, or do they work more independently? What's your sort of thought overall? Is that on breadth? Well, I had the privilege of chairing the Early Childhood Forum in the early stages and that is a group of people across the whole spectrum of services for early years. And at that time, we would have an observer who came in from Ofsted, an observer who came in from the Department of Health and the Department of Education. That no longer happens. But it did mean that those people, the civil servants involved, heard the debates. And we did have to thrash out an awful lot of differences. You know, an educational psychologist has a very different perspective from a health visitor, for example. But we were able to work together, and I was very much helped by the work I'd done for a short time in higher education, coordinating an advanced diploma on multiprofessional working. And that is important. That's what Sure Start was trying to promote as well. 
Um, children are more than just brains. They are bodies, and families have their ups and downs. That's We need to take account of all of that. So there are, there's a lot of wealth of experience and different perspectives on early years, but I think there's a common belief that we need to trust children, that it matters what happens to them. It can transform lives. Um, nutrition matters. Their mental health matters. The situation of their families influence what happens for them too. But they are all individual. There is not a prescription. There cannot be and nor should there be. And I think that's a really important point because if the children don't feel they're individual, then I think that's where they start to struggle, isn't it? The fact that they're not in a position to feel like it's okay to be them, like you said, on any given day or any given particular circumstance they're going through or any particular schooling system they're going through. They may or may or not feel like they fit in in any given time of that. And I think the lack of that kind of individuality is probably an integral part to maybe how some children start to struggle. Yes, and I think our language, we need to be careful too. I'd quite like to pick up the use of the word preschool or pre-literacy or pre-anything really. They are in their own right, their own person, at their own stage of development, and it isn't helpful to think of them as not yet reading. It's helpful to think of them as contributing, articulate, questioning people in their own right at their own stage. So let's not talk about preschool. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that, and that really is that's, that's true across the whole education system through official schooling like and, and then into further education into life generally, isn't it? You, you know, we, we learn all the way through. And I think to, I think that, that's a great point to, to start with that actually we're all where we are on any, give, any given time and, and learning what we learn when that's the case. So There's a lovely poem by Norman Nicholson that um, about a child who says he's rising five. And Norman Nicholson extrapolates from that and ends up by saying in his poem, not living but rising dead. <laughs> Let's talk a bit more specifically about how the current system is or isn't working or, or and some of the history of how we've got where we are now and your general thoughts of that. I started teaching around the time of the Plowden Report, which was very influential and very child learner-centred. I do talk now about learner-centred because, of course, adults as well need to learn. And if we look at each individual case and support it, then we're going to be much more effective. We really need to be grounded and observe closely what's actually happening and the influence on individual children, which, of course, anybody who's had more than one child knows that they're different. So to have this prescription laid upon children and expectations that... Uh, the lack of, of age adjustment in, in interpreting scores on uh, the phonics check, for example, isn't helpful because children are very individual and the younger they are, the more variation one should expect, um, not just between children but within a child. If they have a bad night, if they are not feeling very well, if they're unhappy, they won't be able to show the length and breadth of what they can do. I'm in despair, actually, at the moment, because it's not just that we have very ill-informed policies. We 
we have people who are not prepared to listen to experts and who are very suspicious. It was Michael Gove, wasn't it, who said, we've had enough of experts. But we do know a lot in this country about how young children learn. We've, over the last century, been world-leading, really, in our understanding of pedagogy and effective work with children and families. And it is tragic, I think, that we're losing that. I personally have worked, for example, 20 years ago in China. They came to Britain, having looked around the world, because they decided that what we were doing for and with our young children and families was exactly what they needed in order to grow a population that was more confident and more creative. Um, it, it's really sad that we are losing that edge and that trust in children and in staff. I don't know that even teachers trust children anymore to... It, it is their nature to learn. Absolutely. <laughs> it's how we shape it, Yes. how we support it, how we extend it that really matters and it's now being suppressed and and i think the age related thing i think that you mentioned before is important as well isn't it i mean i have two children at home who are summer birthdays compared to one who's a september birthday and i i remember vividly many parents evenings as they were talking about the fact this doesn't make any difference and just smiling and saying it but it really does i mean at the age of four or five that's like it's a big proportion. It's a massive percentage of uh, of yes, difference. It and, uh, it's almost a year in in a lifetime, a short life. It, I think that's one of the huge difficulties, and it is the case that in this country we have a higher proportion of children diagnosed with special needs when they're four or five, and guess what? The highest proportion is in the summer-born group. It's it's really punishing unacceptable and very demoralizing actually for the children and also for their families it has long-term effects and that that difference shows right the way up till o-level gcse stage and in sports as well actually it's not just intellectual development it's the physiological thing too we really need to be a bit more subtle and we do know the knowledge is there it's just that we're equipped with policymakers who aren't prepared to pay attention to it and have a very top-down approach and to equate teaching with instruction. Mm. Education's much broader than that. Of course. And and in, in your experience, why is it that you think now that the feeling is that teachers and, and, and the, the profession overall is in a state where it's being told what to do rather than having confidence in their experience and, and, and their knowledge of, of what it is that they're being trained to do and it seems to me that there are there's some parts of life like you know the Bank of England for example was given the authority to to have that control over what was best for the country um, albeit like you say having to come back and, and explain their decisions um, why do you think education's got to the point where that's gone almost full circle in the other direction yes it's it's a huge concern isn't it there is a, a lack of respect for professionalism in various fields actually but I think it does apply very powerfully and very damagingly in early education and because of the complexity there is not a prescription there cannot be nor should there be because of the individuality of children within themselves as well as between different individuals so talking as I have had experience talking with policymakers um, you cannot give a simple answer. The response to any question has to start with, well, it depends. There is not a prescription. And 
there is this lack of trust in expertise that's been growing politically, politically in recent years. Um, if we go back to the post-war settlement, um, the Butler Act deliberately and quite explicitly gave the responsibility to local authorities and teachers to make policy and to implement it in a way that was appropriate for their circumstances. And it has become increasingly difficult, really, especially since the privatisation and the academisation of so much of our service, to have any kind of continuity or democratic accountability in the system. And I worry very much about that. And the lack of understanding of the value of, for example, the maintained nursery schools, who make a huge contribution... Yet the numbers are going down. Sure Start has been stopped. And it is a very false economy because if we can get it right at the beginning, we equip children and families to develop with confidence and with commitment um, into the future and they will learn better. The whole the whole thing would would be transformed into a positive experience for everybody and people working to their strengths and their interests and being challenged and being enthused in a way that just isn't happening now. And we talked um, a little bit before, again before we started recording, about the fact that because you have this five-year cycle of, of politics, it's very hard to have that broad... Um, galvanized idea of where we want education to go and how to support children because of course their 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 educational life cycle is is a lot more than just one one government term yes i i did have experience in the department for education at the time when sure start was being set up and i came to see strategically what the difficulties were it is to do with the way that government finances work and it's to do with the way that ministers need to prove effectiveness of any of their policies very fast within the term of a government. And of course, when we have a new government, there will be new priorities. So the need for long-term strategic planning, which applies not just in education, but to, in other areas too, social services, health, um, is very, very difficult within our system. I think we have a dysfunctional political system, actually, from that perspective. And so... If you were able to have a magic wand and 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 um, and change it in some way or another, do you have an idea of what you think that picture might be, or an answer to that? If 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 we did have that sort of control, and well, I think recent events are showing how just how dysfunctional our political system is, and we do need some form of proportional representation and a better dialogue between people who have different perspectives, because that's the way that we're going to get better policy. And we certainly, in all public services, need a longer-term view. The way that the budget gets altered and cut and the way that priorities are changed is very, very unhelpful. And certainly, from my perspective, I would say that the Sure Start initiative had the potential to transform lives and was beginning to do so until austerity bit. But it is a false economy to cut back on investment at that stage because that can prevent all sorts of problems that are now emerging later. And there are other aspects as well, the youth service, all sorts of things, the probation service, the prison service, the health service, all sorts of things are suffering. But 
we just need the commitment and the understanding and the conviction and the determination to stick with the policy that we know works. It does work, and we have evidence for that. So austerity, yes, the, the reality, there's a, a financial difficulty that we have to face, but it is a false economy to cut back on what happens in the early years. The older I get, the more convinced I am that there is nothing more important than what happens to the young children and their families at the beginning. And if we can get that right, then we'll build from strength and we will avoid an awful lot of grief, let alone financial difficulties later. And are there any particular things that have happened over, over your experience in the profession that you think have had major change um, for good or, or for bad? And, and with that sort of knowledge, do you think there's anything that can happen? And I guess NAPE being a national association, is, the, the reason we're all so passionate about it is that we feel that we have the experience and, and the voice as much as anybody does to kind of point people in that direction of how we could make such a difference. It's difficult to be optimistic at the moment, partly because of the very real financial difficulties the country is facing, and we must. But we do know, we have evidence, and we can support and argue for an investment in education starting at the beginning. And we have got um, material such as the definition of teaching that Ofsted has for the early years, which I'm very glad is still sustained in their current revised framework, which makes it clear that it is more complex than just telling people things and just instruction and just testing. And I think if that could be adopted right the way through the education system, we'd do an awful lot better. But of course, it comes down to politics in the end and um, who is in power and the way that they interpret their responsibilities to our public services and we are suffering hugely from the destruction of local authority and public services and the local authority control that they did have. This wasn't always brilliant but surely the answer would be better to improve and work at that level and the democratic accountability that is appropriate for a particular area rather than having someone centrally who currently, I think, is demonstrating a lack of understanding of the complexity of educational issues by fiat controlling all sorts of aspects of the system in a way that is extremely, deeply unhelpful and very damaging, actually, at every level. And the impact on children is very serious. It's, it's, we're having teachers who are leaving. We're having head teachers under huge stress. We're having parents very worried. And we have rising mental health issues. I could go on, Mark. But, <laughs> but there is a lack of democratic accountability. Yeah. I have had the privilege um, of working with HMI over the years. And they came out in the middle 90s with a very, very good document on, on early years provision and how to make give children good learning opportunities in the early years. Um, and they saw their job, yes, as monitoring, but also of advising within schools, but also at national level. It was their remit to advise government. And the loss of that, I think, is, is very serious indeed, because we do have politicians now who are working in a context 
uh, of their own knowledge, which is necessarily for all of us limited. And Ofsted does not function in that way. And in fact, in my observation and indeed my own experience, Ofsted is now an enforcer of government policy, not only in schools, but in universities and colleges of initial teacher training. And I worry about that hugely. Of everyone that I've spoken to, um, especially when we've been chatting to the council, there's no, like like children themselves, that there's no answer. It all starts with, it depends. Um, and, and, there, and there are so many things. It, it is a shame that the historical knowledge that we have, the experience that we have within education, like I said, isn't necessarily being heard. And even when we do get the opportunity to do it, it's not always taken on board. And, and that can be frustrating. But I think our job, certainly through NAEP, is to be able to keep having those conversations as best we can, keep pushing those points and and actually eventually hoping that something within the system changes enough to make a significant difference. And I think, well, there's enough people involved to be able to support that idea, then at least we're, we're doing everything that we possibly can do. And that's why I think NAEP is incredibly important. I would echo that. NAEP is very important. And it's very, very helpful to meet with like-minded people who have experience and can demonstrate and prove that this way of working, a child-centred, learner-centred way, is effective. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for your, your conversation today and all your experience. And <laughs> a wonderful time. It's great being on location. And, <laughs> and I hope you've been able to follow it through with us with everything that's been going on. We've had a very interesting half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so. Thank you, Mark.